place. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. The opportunity we have to come into your presence and to cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. And Father, I just ask right now in the quietness of this moment that you would reach into our innermost beings and that you would meet our needs by your spirit through your word. And may we understand the reality of the precious privilege that we have of knowing you as Heavenly Father, sharing with you all of our requests, and seeing you meet our needs. Encourage us this morning, Father. We pray that you would just have glory as we look into the the wonder of your truth that you would just take away anything that would distract us. And Father, that your will would be done on earth, in our lives this day, as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In 1939, across the silver screen, there was the tale of a youngster who grew up in Kansas. Her name was Dorothy. She was involved in a tornado that somehow transported her to the land of Oz. She and her dog, Toto. And as they arrived in Oz, they recognized that it was quite a different place. In fact, Dorothy says to Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And so begins the adventure. As she works her way down the Yellow Bick Road to the Emerald Castle and finds herself away home. You know, for the believer... We are not where we want to be. The scripture tells us that this life, this existence, this place in which we live is not the final place that God has prepared for us. In fact, the scripture says that I has not seen, neither ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to laying aside all of this stuff. And getting rid of all of the baggage. And not having to deal with all of the challenges in my life. But between here and there, there are those challenges. There is a battle that is raging in our lives. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, we are told what that battle is all about. I want to begin with verse 10 this morning, a familiar passage of Scripture to you. But this morning, my goal is not necessarily to work our way through the armor that God has provided for us, although I want to mention that. My goal this morning is to remind us that we have an offensive weapon, an offensive weapon which is the Word of God that is to be used through the avenue of 
prayer. If you were here last evening in our activity center, you viewed the film War Room. And if you've not seen it, you need to see it. It's available in bookstores now. And we were reminded that you and I in this world in which we live are in a battle that rages around us. The enemy is real. And we are not in Kansas anymore. And as we think about the battle that God has given to us, we need to understand that not only has he provided us the battle, but he's provided us the resources to be able to win the battle. Scripture says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Are you in Ephesians chapter 6? You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, please. I will begin with verse 10. Finally, don't you wish that was a word that I just used? That's Paul talking, not me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Put on the whole armor of God. I want you to know this morning that the battle is real. Here Paul lists the schemes of the wicked one. He then lists rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces in evil places. In our lives, we must be ready for a battle, and it is real. There is nothing that will remind you more of the wickedness of this world than taking a trip abroad. You will see that other governments are well prepared for battle. As Connie and I traveled the last couple of weeks, it was not unusual for us to see submachine guns in the places that we were. As I shared during Sunday school, right outside our motel in Silchar, India, there was a guard because there were Westerners in this place. Many times you and I forget that there is a battle that rages around us. Now there are three arenas that you and I need to be aware of as we understand something about the battle. The first arena is the world, our culture, the place in which we live. Scripture says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what's in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I don't know what your battle is this morning, but it may be the world. It may be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, that is not a recent battle that is being fought. That battle was fought way back in the Garden of Eden. And as you read Genesis chapter 3, you discover that as the serpent came to tempt Eve, he used that culture, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, to entice her not to believe God. As you read that account in Genesis, you discover that in the first few chapters of Genesis, there are two important battles that are fought. Battle number one, God does not mean what he says. Huh? Was that not what the serpent said? Surely God didn't mean this. God had told them that in the day they ate of that fruit, they would die and they began to die. And the second battle that's fought is, I can trust my own judgment. (laughs) She looked at it and said, it's okay that is the battle that we face every day in the world God's word is not true and I can trust my own judgment you fight that battle the second arena in which we fight battles is the flesh Paul said in my flesh dwelleth no good thing and certainly I fight my flesh every day Now, the battle may be around pride. I'm okay. I'm good enough. I can handle it. It's all right, God. If I need you, I'll call on you, but until then, relax. That battle may be fought around fear. How many of us really get concerned about things that never take place in our lives? but it might happen. That battle may well be around worry. It may be around a craving. It was so good to get back in an airport and have a Diet Coke. (laughs) That's part of our flesh. It may be around being lazy, lack of discipline in our lives, knowing that we should be doing something that we just don't plan to do. That's a battle, and we all fight it. And the third arena that we have is that of Satan himself. Scripture says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, you like my graphic? I went on the internet and looked for roaring lions. One of the first ones that came up was the symbol of the Detroit Lions. I thought, that's not so scary. (laughs) But Satan walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. Scripture is very clear about Satan's very real and personal existence. 
52 times he is called Satan, which means adversary, and 35 times the devil, which means slanderer. This fallen archangel and his fallen angels who became demons have been tempting and corrupting mankind since the fall. They are an evil, formidable, cunning, powerful, and invisible foe against whom no human being in his own power and resources is a match. Where's your battle? You're fighting it someplace. Is it the world? Is it the flesh? Is it the devil? It's real. And we Western believers better wake up. Because Satan and his forces, the world and its corruption, and our flesh are out to destroy us. Now that's the bad news. The good news that God has given to us is that our protection is sufficient. And we have, beginning with verse 15, um, you did note there, I'm sorry, verse 13, you did note that there is a therefore. And every time there's a therefore, you see what it's, right? Because of this battle, God has given to us what we need in order to be successful. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all stand. And here it is, right? The armor. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And these weapons that God has given to us are sufficient to be able to face the adversary and conquer him. Did you know where it starts? It starts with truth. Then righteousness, right? Then peace. Salvation, shield of faith. That's what God is. How adept are you at your armor? I have my concealed carry here in Michigan. I'm not packing this morning. But one of the things I have discovered, that if you're going to carry a firearm, You better keep practicing with it because it's the only way you can become efficient. And if you don't go down to range, and if you don't put rounds through the gun, you're not going to be effective. Let me tell you something. If you don't practice truth and righteousness and peace and salvation and faith, you're not going to be effective. So what was the last piece of the armor that you used against the wicked one? Maybe I should ask it this way. What was the last piece of armor that you used effectively against the wicked one? Therefore, you're in this battle. Our protection is sufficient. And our weapons, our weapons are strong and effective. Did you notice? And take the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. Now, I remind you that when Paul wrote this, there were not verse divisions. He wrote this as a letter to the believers at Ephesus, encouraging them and ministering to them and helping them know how they could be a success in their Christian lives. So please take out the number 18 and read it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The writer of Hebrews told us that, didn't he? The psalmist says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. In that same 119th Psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, how effective are you with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? When was the last time that you committed a piece of the Word of God to memory? When was the last time that you sat down and allowed the Word of God to minister to you? If you're only getting the Word of God Sunday morning at 10.50 or 11.30, you're not going to be very effective with the Word of God. You know, it was Jesus who used the word of God when he was tempted by the spirit, by Satan. Hmm? Do you remember that? You find that in Matthew chapter 4. Satan said, Jesus, you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Make these stones become bread. Remember what Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Satan said, Throw, your, throw yourself down from this pinnacle. And the angels will give charge over you. They'll, they'll protect you, Lord. Remember what Jesus said? Don't put the Lord God to test. Deuteronomy chapter 6. He took him to a high mountain. And supernaturally, he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. and said, hey, all you do is worship me and this is all yours. And Jesus said out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall worship the Lord God only. I think it's interesting that all of those quotes out of Deuteronomy, when's the last time you read Deuteronomy? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is affected by our prayer life. It is our submission to God's work in our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us that makes that resource so effectively. Again, John MacArthur in his commentary on Ephesians says, prayer is not merely another godly weapon, as important as those weapons are. 
All the while that we are fighting in the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, we are to be in prayer. Prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. It is the all-pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. Wow. How's your prayer life? If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, a classic by John Bunyan, you need to. It's a story of a man by the name of Christian who goes on a journey. And it really is a story of progressive sanctification. And in his journey, Christian is told of his weapon, which is called prayer. Which, when everything else failed, would enable him to defeat the fiends of the valley of the shadow of death. Did you note it? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, pray. Now, how are we to pray? I want you to notice the three-letter word in that verse, verse 18. The word all. It's used four times in my translation of the Scripture. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, how do you define that three-letter word? Somebody defined it this way. All means all. That's all. Hmm? Pretty good. And so, as we look at effective prayer, we must begin by looking at it as a priority in our lives. Praying at all times. You know, Scripture tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And prayer is that wonderful resource that we have that allows us to enter the presence of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and understand that there is a Heavenly Father who wants to meet our needs and who is able to meet our needs. Prayer needs to be a priority in our lives. How many of you drove here today? Uh, some of you walked, used your bicycles. You drove? You drive? You drive? Okay. All right. How many in your cars have a spare tire? Okay. How many of you, before you ever started your car, checked your spare tire? Now, I guarantee you, had you had a flat tire on the way to church today, you would have done one or two things. You would have either called AAA or you would have gotten out of the car, popped the trunk, pulled out the jack, pulled out the spare tire, put it on, and made your journey. But in either case, AAA or you expected that your spare tire would be pumped up and all ready to go, right? Well, I mean, that's a logical assumption. 
in a lot of ways, that's the way we treat God, isn't it? God's our spare tire. When we get a flat in our lives, we jerk him out of the trunk and we throw him on until we can get the other tire fixed and throw it back on, jerk him back in the trunk. Here it says, prayer ought to be a priority. We ought to pray all the time, and that ought to be the first resource that we have in our life. Is the first place you turn prayer? Not only should it be a priority, it's our power. At all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, I have linked the spirit and all prayer and supplication together. That's our power. Likewise, the spirit knoweth our infirmity. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You believe that? It's Romans 8, 26. And he that knows the mind of God prays according to the will of God. That's Romans 8, 27. Now, you know Romans 8, 28, don't you? And all things work together, what? For good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, you know why Romans 8, 28 works? Because Romans 8, 26 and 27 works. The Spirit prays for us. That's our power, folks. That's where we get our energy, praying in the Spirit of God. Now, when we talk about the Spirit, we must make sure that we do not quench Him and we do not grieve Him and that we are sensitive to Him. That's our power. How powerful is your prayer? When was the last thing, when was the last time, I should say, when was the last time that you can specifically identify an answer to prayer in your life. If God quit answering prayer, how long would it take us for us to figure it out? Is it the power that he intends us to have? I mean, we're growing in prayer, right? I can't tell you the number of prayers that Connie and I Saul specifically answered on our India trip. Remarkable. And why should it surprise us? That's our God. Amen? Prayer is our power. Prayer is also to be persistent. With all perseverance. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. Right? Now, if you look at the Greek, that is, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's to be persistent. Have you been praying about something for some time and God has seemingly not answered it? Keep praying. I quoted earlier that Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And that statement is made for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And then he tells the parable about a widow who is persistent before a judge and the judge is not prone to answer her request but she keeps going back and going back and going back and this is the testimony that ends up from the judge I don't fear God or fear man I'm the judge but because this widow keeps bugging me I will answer her request 
That's persistence. In our prayer, you and I need to be persistent. And lastly, we need to pray for people. Right? Here it says, supplication for all the saints. Thank you for praying for Connie and me as we were on our trip. You do not know what that meant to us. Thank you for praying for me in the ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church. You do not know what that means to us. But we need to pray for people. Why? Because it's people who are fighting the battle. It's people who are struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's people who are facing all of the challenges in their lives. It's people who are struggling with stuff. And there is not a person in this worship center today that's not struggling with something. You may not have figured it out yet, but you're struggling with something. And we need to pray for people. I was brought very quickly to reality concerning the battle in which we are engaged. As I was told about all of the challenges that take place in ministry in India. Wow. We heard the Muslim call to prayer five times every day. We saw the Muslims on the street. Very sober, very serious. The cattle wandered through the whole countryside, city side. And yet people worshiped them and were lost. We don't have to deal with that here in Battle Creek, do we? Well, let me tell you, Satan is as alive and well in Battle Creek as he is over in India. And you and I have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that needs to be energized by prayer. That's what will make a difference in our lives. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for your word. Truth, encouragement, reality. But that which also supplies for us everything that we need in order to fulfill the purpose that you've called us to. We love you, Father, and thank you for your love. Help us to know we're in a battle, and help us to understand a little bit about the resource we have called prayer. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Little